the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's episode of The Situation Report. This is the show where we do our very best every week to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. Very glad to be with you. And now we have the opportunity to be with you three times a week. And I hope that you are tuning in to each one of those episodes, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Salem Podcast Network or wherever it is you listen to podcasts from. That was one of those prepositional phrases I was told not to use, but I went ahead and did it anyhow. Wherever it is you listen from, uh, I hope that you are tuned in, you are signed up, and uh, you're subscribed so that you get this com- this content as it is pushed out. Today we have a great episode for you. Um, there are so many questions as we consider the political landscape of the United States. This is something that comes up again and again, even on this show. For many of us as conservatives, as those who care about uh, things like free speech and uh, a free and open press, that we care about religious worship and being able to worship as we please. We care about these things. We care about liberty. We care about the opportunities that Americans historically have had. And we look at a country that seems to be moving further and further away from these liberties. We consider this landscape and we look at all of these issues that we're dealing with. It can be very, very confusing. Where are we? What is actually happening? Why is it happening? And what is if any, is the path forward? How do we get back to the place where we really need to be as Americans? Uh, When we talk about culture changing, we talk about culture shifting and all that's happening. This is a big one. It is for me. It's a big conversation around my dinner table at home with my wife and children, and it probably is for you too. And so grateful that we have the opportunity on this show to bring on experts, men and women who understand these issues and can articulate them so well. And there is no one better (laughs) at our articulating clearly, both from a historical perspective, an academic perspective, and really just a cultural perspective, what we're going through right now. No one better than our guest today, Darren Beatty. So glad to have him with us and grateful that he would take the time to have this conversation. Darren is uh, a man who has done many, many things, <laughs> but among them, he was a professor at Duke University, a former White House speechwriter uh, for the Trump administration. He is a political theorist and scholar. He has served as a board member at the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad, and notably is the founder of Revolver News. Darren, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today. Uh, we had to fight to get to this point, fighting with technology, but uh, you pushed through. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, what you're doing and for talking with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Man, you've done so many things. You've got an incredible bio. Um, your time, even at Duke, if, if you did nothing beyond that, your time at Duke and the research and study and writing that you did there is incredible. Can you just start at the beginning? Talk to us about um, how you went from being a professor at Duke University, some of the interests you had there, to leveraging that into a career in politics, the beginning of Revolver, which is um, you know, on the front lines in so many of these stories that we, we care about. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got to where you are. 
Yeah, of course. Well, as you mentioned, I was a professor at Duke. Um, that's also where I got my PhD in political theory. And my, my uh, dissertation was not really relevant to any you know, issue of practical politics. Although when I was teaching in 2016, um, I revised some of the typical Duke courses in order to reflect a thesis that I had, a thesis that had been developing over some time, which was that the kind of the uh, way in which political ideologies and um, certainly um, uh, parties were put together in the United States was somewhat obsolete. Mm. And in the mm. sense that, you know, people rarely reflected, even at that time, people are thinking about it more now, but people rarely reflected on the logic if there's any holding various positions together that are generally packaged as part of this is what it means to be a Republican. For instance, is there any kind of necessary relationship between having a certain position on um, abortion, a certain position on affirmative action, a certain position on the ideal marginal tax rates, and a certain position on, right. uh, for instance, what our foreign policy should be with respect to... Um, you know, Russia or China or Middle East and so forth. And um, I thought, you know, there's a number of answers to that. One is that there's basically no relationship whatsoever, and they're all just packaged together arbitrarily. Um, the other is that there's some kind of inherent cohesion to all of these things, and they're somehow in, uh, linked according to some underlying logic. And then the third is that they're contingent and the ability to package these things together uh, really kind of presupposes some larger sort of um, historical context. And then the question is, does that historical context last forever? And if that historical context changes, right. then what happens to the logic of these coalitions? And so that's all sort of a verbose way to say that around 2016 and even 2015 because I taught a version of this course in Germany where I was on a fellowship I taught mm. a course called left right and center which was redesigned in order to reflect the thesis that the underlying political coalitions had become extremely tenuous and pretty much obsolete and yeah. I had the kind of good fortune or maybe it was more than good fortune maybe it was a certain kind of prescience on my part to see as I was teaching this course the election unfold in such a manner as to i would say pretty much substantiate the thesis and you had on the uh democrat side this emerging kind of populist threat from bernie sanders and on the gop side of course you had the phenomenon that is donald trump um, right, completely right. disrupting not only as a force of personality which is a huge factor, but also sure. disrupting the stability of that kind of old Reaganite, Reagan era, Cold War era yep. um, coalition that really sustained the GOP and that had become increasingly dubious. And so yeah. that's kind of what I was doing at Duke. I was the only non-tenured professor in the country to have publicly supported Trump. I was the only faculty mm. member at Duke 
to correctly predict his victory. And there are all sorts of things along those lines. But that was pretty much my um, my brief uh, period as a professor in American University. It's uh, it's fascinating to hear you talk about that. I read a book. um, It must have been a year ago now by George Friedman. I don't know if you're familiar. It's the, the title is The Storm Before the Calm. And he, he basically goes back historically and he says that as a country, we've gone through these 50-year cycles. And every 50 years, we have to redefine or re-identify who we are politically. That what we had you know, in the 40s does not work, in the 60s does not work in the 80s, and no longer works now. And, and just even thinking through that in, in, a, in an odd way, and then hearing you explain it in, in a strange way, it gives a lot of hope mm-hmm. because... We have precedent for that. And I think your question is, is, a, is an incredible question. Does historical precedent continue forever? We don't know, I guess. But if we can look back historically and see what has happened, understand this is not new, that gives a lot of hope for the future. And, and I think in a lot of ways, people should be aware of that. We feel like we're in this apocalyptic era when really we're going through what a lot of people before us have gone through. Is that, is that a fair assessment or is that uh, a, little, a little Pollyannish on my side? Well, kind of. Uh, what I meant by the kind of historical conditions is just much more of a specific um, reference to the kind of the conditions of the Cold War that I think made it possible to sustain that particular sort of catalog of positions that made up the GOP platform, sort of lumping together a Mm, foreign policy hawkishness with the sort of quote unquote free market um, economic perspective and the kind of um, values informed kind of uh, approach to the culture war. Um, To the extent that those could fit together, it helps to have the chief enemy, which is this, you know, geopolitical competitor animated by kind of an atheistic um, materialist ideology. And that is also um, uh, that is also uh, communist as as a matter of its economic system. So if that's your biggest enemy, it makes it easier to kind of package together uh, the, the platform that I described, but you know, that's been gone for a while. And, um, so part of the disruption that Trump was able to catalyze, uh, is really just a byproduct of that kind of underlying anachronism that was the GOP platform post cold war. So when you look at kind of broadly, the, the political, um, position we find ourselves in as a nation now, what would you characterize that as? Is this a, we have Biden, we have the administration, it's a strange thing that we'll all look back on someday and go, what in the world just happened? <laughs> or have things changed that much? Where are we politically right now in your assessment? Well, I think as a country, um, America is at a point of um, integration and consolidation as to its new form. Like, just in keeping with the kind of Cold War reference, there was this pretense or self-understanding, whether true or not, that the United States was a liberal 
democracy and that right. um, you know we were opposed to the totalitarian system of Soviet communism and so forth. I think it's really we're we're at the stage where if there's even a pretense to being a liberal democracy anymore, it's it's an extremely flimsy one. And I think the the country itself is sort of showing itself more overtly for this new form that it's taken on um, in an aggressive manner uh, over the past several decades, which is a kind of merger of a um, uh, hyper ideological um, uh, kind mm. of uh, cultural approach with various sorts of um, economic systems. And the fact that, for instance, the what typically people refer to as the woke, for back of, lack of a better term, yeah, that this right. has integrated so well into the power structures and every single institution in the United States from not only corporate America, which has adopted it and embraced it enthusiastically, um, it's been some time since like the, the mainstream media has adopted it, since the entertainment industry has adopted it, but it's sort of a new thing at least to understand that corporate America has fully embraced it. Mm. And it's a still newer thing to see how um, the military industrial complex has embraced it, even up to right. the Department of Defense and the American right. military. So I think we're now seeing how every single important institution in the United States is fully and aggressively animated by this woke ideology to the point that I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, that wokeness is the ideology of the American state. And you see that in how these institutions exert their influence and control domestically. And you also see that in the effect of American power being projected overseas. As America projects its power, it um, it wields its influence in such a manner as to promote this same toxic ideology overseas. And so what America means has become far more dubious. I've come to refer to it as the globalist American empire, which is sort of mm. the entity that that America is now. And uh, it's fully animated across every dimension with this kind of with this woke ideology. And I think that's much clearer now, much more aggressive now um, than it ever was. And it's sort of assuming and getting comfortable in its new form, although we're still right. in the throes of transformation. By now, you've all heard me talk about MyPillow. And now Mike has just announced that our customers will receive one of his books, What Are the Odds, from Crack Addict to CEO, absolutely free with any purchase using our promo code. It's a great time to buy his warm and wonderful My Slippers. I have a pair myself. I have the moccasins. I wear them all day long, inside and outside. In fact, I wear them probably too much outside, so I'm going to get a second pair for myself. Uh, when you walk on the, the My Pillow foam in the Impact Gel, it, uh, it keeps your feet from getting fatigued from walking around all day. feels like you're walking on these kind of cushioned air pockets. I, I absolutely love them. Uh, they're made with quality leather suede. And again, I'm going to get a second pair for myself. 
and buying pairs uh, for my family as well. And for a limited time, Mike is offering 50% off his My Slippers for you. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listeners Square and use promo code SIDREP. You also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including some overstock products such as individual towels, blankets, comforters, and so much more. Call 1-800-870-0283 and use promo code SIDREP. So if wokeness is the ideology of the state, and you know I concur with that. In fact, I think you would have to have your head in the sand, so to speak, not to see a lot of the things that you just outlined. Um, you know, I come from a military background. I work with veterans, and you know, my day job is working in a veterans organization where we help veterans dealing with trauma, transition issues, and a lot of other related issues. And you know, me coming from a military background, I was a Marine Corps officer. Uh, there were a certain set of principles that we held to, and most fundamental of those was um, the mission includes <laughs> taking care of the people that we serve, and that has been turned upside down to the to the point where even in the Marine Corps, it, it seems that pursuing these woke ideologies is far more important than um, leading and serving the people that you know that we say we take care of, the young men and women that we lead, uh, all the way up to the Department of Defense. My argument there would be that these are politicians who have put these policies in place and that as you work down, you find men and women who still hold to, um, you know, that ethos that I I once (laughs) accepted as part of being a military officer. And as I look at the political landscape, I guess my question is, is wokeness the ideology of the state as in those in political power? Or is it something that we as a nation of citizens have also adopted? It feels like there is a division, a separation between uh, the mainstream talking points, a woke ideology pushed down from the administration and those in leadership and authority, and the rest of us. Um, Is that the case? And if it is, is there an opportunity then to turn that around as we continue moving forward? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think... It's certainly the ideology of the American state. And by state, I also refer to technically private entities that in all but name function as instruments of the state. So I include sort of the communications infrastructure, the uh, technological apparatus, uh, big tech, the um, major... Uh, media organs, the major entertainment organs. Um, Basically, it's fair to say that every institution of significance in the United States is woke in in terms of its uh, ideological orientation. And in most cases, aggressively and proactively so, rather than reluctantly. Um, And so you can look at it on an institutional level like that, which I think says something about the condition that we're in. You can also look at it from a kind of um, sociological point of view or class point of view in the sense that um, the uh, sort of the ruling class culture is very much dominated by that position. You don't have a lot of sort of um, the, 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 the influential classes um, are 
pretty much universally disposed to that orientation as well. Um, and so from a class-based position, uh, it's uh, also kind of uh, woke. Um, and of course, there are a lot of people who disagree with it, but as you point out in DOD, you have to go down to sort of rank and file. And right. that's important. It's important to know that there are these people there, but ultimately that's not really going to change anything if the rank and file don't have any mechanism to assert their influence. Sure. And sure. I think based, because every single institution is one way, you have this profound asymmetry in the country where basically all of the relevant power is aligned in one direction. And so, mm. um, yes, you have a lot of people who disagree with it, but um, the numbers only get you so far. And the numbers can even get people elected, but ultimately without the institutions, without the culture, without sort of some buy-in from some faction of the ruling class, um, you're not really going to get anywhere. You, even if you get someone elected, like got Trump elected, which was a minor miracle, like things had right. to be aligned in a <laughs> right. very particular way. So you had Trump and both houses of Congress. And, mm. you know, it, you know, Trump was a disruptive figure as a matter of personality, but in terms of actually doing some, you know, permanent work in, in terms of reorienting the bureaucracies, reorienting, reorienting the culture, um, uh, this is very difficult to do under the conditions that I've described. Yeah. So, um, so I think we can have simultaneously the fact that, you know, there are a lot of people rank and file and also just generally, you know, people in the United States, tens and tens of millions who don't like this, but unless you kind of have a very influential, important institution or uh, relatedly a very influential and important class of people, say the, you know, the class, you know, the, the, the technical class or the business class or some group that wields influence on society, it's very hard to translate the popular resistance to something that actually matters and can meaningfully change the direction of the country. What impact do you think the decentralization of media and communication will have on regaining some of that power we've had mainstream media they control the information they push everything down to the rest of us but so much of that's been decentralized whether it's social media platforms or just the opportunity to do a show like this one that is internet based and we have podcasting and we can push all these things out in different ways uh, will that get us to a point where an institution or institutions will arise that give us some of that power uh, or is this more just machinations that will <laughs> not really yield uh, the result that we're looking for? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And, you know, I, I think it's very important uh, to have alternative sources of media. That's why I've um, dedicated a lot of my time and energy into establishing one, which is, you mentioned, right. Revolver News. So I think it's very important. Um I don't think we're in as good a position now as we were, say, in 2014 or even 2015. Uh, the internet as it existed in 2014, 2014 is now non-existent. Um, basically, in light of Trump's victory, all of the big tech concerns got together and, 
you know, did a very good job at ensuring that this could never happen again. And that was precisely by making sure that on those big centralized platforms that basically function as public squares for political discourse, that those would be heavily restricted and regulated. And that's still the case. Uh, aggressively so. Trump himself is not no longer allowed on uh, Twitter. And so right. there's only so much you can do to correct that by establishing your alternative this, your alternative that. In order to reach you know the masses at scale, you need um, you need a big platform that you know by the very nature of being big, it's going to be centralized in in some capacity. And so, you know, as a kind of renegade, kind of Samus dot guerrilla information warfare, it's great to have you know all these different uh, outlets so people who are interested and engaged can get their information. But uh, most people are you know very uh, low effort, passive consumers of information, right. and right. they're going to default to whatever kind of big centralized outlet there is, and so. Um, to some, you know, I'm extremely grateful that we have kind of a, a decentralized information ecosystem and that everyone isn't kind of snuffed out. I think it's a lot worse than it was in 2014. And I'm not sure, I think there are kind of limits on how much you can do within the existing information environment. And the regime has shown that once something becomes, you know, gets to the point where it's really causing trouble, they right. have a lot of levers they can pull in order to screw you, whether it's, um, you know, I don't even want to mention all of them because I don't want them to use them against me. <laughs> so, but there, there are a lot of things that can be very easily done. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah, ultimately, I do think, you know, you can make there are different thresholds of cancellation, different ways they can pinch your reach, like one of the favorite quotes of the of the commissar class is oh you know you might have freedom of speech but you don't have freedom of reach which means they want to make sure, sure that anyone sure. who dares to criticize a regime narrative on anything can't make money doing so is just right. you know relegated to a corner somewhere that's totally cut off from um even the mainstream internet and they've done yeah. that to you know multiple outlets like in uh, like Infowars, they they have these kind of right. cross-platform ban mechanisms where you can't even post a clip of a banned site on a right. on a major platform. They do network analysis, so they'll ban you not for anything you say, but just because you're determined to belong to a certain cluster of individuals. Therefore, mm. you're um, uh, facially uh, a suspect in that regard. So <laughs> there are a lot of right. techniques they have. And I just kind of think that once you get to a certain level where you're really starting to cause trouble for the regime, they have a lot of tools at their disposal to kind of right. kneecap you. We, we, we've seen this this last week with Joe Rogan, right? I mean, this is a very influential kind of middle of the road guy who went against the narrative and pushed back for a while, but it seems like whatever levers they needed to pull to get him to pull back, that, that it's happened. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, it gets scary to me when you see someone like Joe, Ro <laughs> Joe Rogan go through this process, because to see Alex Jones go through it is one thing. Right. You know, he's built his career um, fighting the narrative, but this is a different situation. Right. Um, 
it, yeah. it's interesting even to watch kind of the siloing or um, I think we call it political the political ghettos of these other platforms as well. We've created other platforms, but really they're a, an echo chamber for what all of us there believe. We're not evangelizing to anyone new. Mm-hmm. We're just speaking to uh, our own people and, and wonder how, how impactful that is, how right. effective it is. Right. And I'm not and that's sure. That's why, really. you know, Rogan, even though he's not, you know, um, you know, he's just the everyman. You know, he's uh, right. he's the, the, his special talent is tapping into kind of the average Joe, yeah. and that's why he is yeah. such a popular appeal, and and his, you know, inclinations seem to be mostly kind of center left to the extent that they're informed at all, and yet even, <laughs> right. and yet even that is, you know, threatening. And part of the reason right. for that again is like, right. it's because of its centralization, because it, he has become a kind of arbiter of the mainstream discourse he has a say in what the mainstream discourse is even more than any kind of political commentator because he has he does some politics but he also has a foot deeply entrenched in sort of the cultural uh sphere you know coming out of the sports world with you know mixed martial arts being and and the comedy world so it's really a byproduct of his Uh, unusual biography that he's at the same time you know a successful yeah. comedian entertainer he was successful and tapped into the sports industry and yeah. so kind of merging all of those worlds and uh, through his, his podcast enables him to be a very powerful cultural figure and so even if he doesn't use that in a kind of incredibly subversive way or even if he doesn't say anything remarkable simply the fact that he He's not entirely controlled, and he's willing to have some people on who yeah, have a right. different perspective. That alone is far more threatening to the regime than, um, you know, hard some yeah. hardcore sure. thing that has you know twelve listeners. You know, it's like to, to, to <laughs> right. be able to shape the narrative at that level is a tremendous power and responsibility. And, you know, you could do a lot worse than Joe Rogan, to be honest. So, you know, I wish I wish him the best. And uh, of it course, seems like seems like he's going to weather this all right. So, he'll, yeah, he'll do fine. I, I have appreciated him. It's funny. My my parents who, uh, you know, are, are older than me, obviously, and they're in kind of a different age demographic recently talking about Joe Rogan, not because they care about all this other stuff, but because they care about a truth teller who has a large platform and, and is taken seriously. And that's important. Right. Yeah. I mean, frankly, like maybe it's a condemnation of the state that we're in, but Joe Rogan's pretty much the best that we can hope for in this country right. at this stage. So for better or worse, that's what we've got. Right. We've got Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla, both comedians right. who are more honest than uh, than our media, which is crazy. Right. Um, when you look at what is happening then, if you could prescribe a path forward for conservatism, um, you know, conservative populism, how do we how do we get to the place where we need to be? How do we get large institutions to buy in and influential people. What What is the path forward other than just hanging on and trying to slow the decline <laughs> as much as possible? Well, I mean, I think the key is um, there's no kind of easy solution. And that's the problem is that there's a tremendous market for 
easy bullshit solutions that aren't sure, real solutions, sure. <laughs> and, but it just makes people feel good because the actual situation is so demoralizing. But right, um, right. Uh, but I I think that it's because I think there's actually kind of a path, albeit a, a difficult one and maybe a, a doubtful one. It's it's always better to approach things with a sober understanding of the position you're in and you know there could maybe not an easy fix or a likely fix but best to operate not under any kind of um illusion and so i i think uh um you know there's there's the kind of the twin dangers of the black pill on one side and mm. the cope on the other and you know some people i think they're both kind of two sides of the same toxic coin um yeah and um i i think there are a lot of approaches but one thing that i think is especially important is just need to be attractive to talented people like the, the, you, you, talented and serious people if you don't have talented and serious people you're not going to do anything Interesting. so um whether that's on the right or you know however needs to be branded maybe not even as something on the right at this point but um nothing will succeed um in the in according to a meaningful definition of success unless it attracts a class of talented and serious people and unfortunately so much of what you see on the right or you know just on the right in politics generally in the country generally it's a fundamentally unserious country on yes. every level it's just a huge clown show it's a huge grift show um everything is kind of a, a joke and in some ways it's hard to imagine anything succeeding that's not at least given the cloak of unseriousness because there's almost a deep suspicion of anything that's serious so you, you mm. need to even you need to have an element of the clown show and unseriousness just to <laughs> have any effect so it's a very it's a very interesting situation but ultimately um uh, for lack of a better description i think you need something that is attractive to um intelligent talented and serious young people many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone this self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I have um, really struggled, particularly over the last year and a half or so, with so much of what we call conservative punditry, mm-hmm. particularly in the social media space. It's, it's rage, it's hate, it's anger, it's sound bites, 
it's mischaracterization often of what is happening. There are things that happen, and even those who are conservative, who we'd align with politically, they mischaracterize what happened for some gain of their own. It's it's not serious, nor is it attractive to anyone who can think beyond a 30-second soundbite. It saddens me, but I think one of the things we have to do to get to what you just described is to overcome (laughs) a lot of the people on on our side of the aisle. And, you know, there's so much money, there's influence, there's a lot of other things wrapped up in it that prevent those people from becoming serious. Um, But we are sometimes our own worst enemy in this, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, there, There are a lot of bottlenecks to it. And, you know, there's, again, it's, it's a kind of nuanced situation because on one hand um, you you need to be relentlessly serious in, in, in a certain way but on the other hand clownishness is the currency of not right. only American politics but the American economy and basically every other element is and so there's there's a there's a suspicion in relation to anything right. that is overtly seriousness. So, so you, it's like you need to present yourself in this cloak of clownishness in order right. to accomplish anything in in the United States. But you can't let the cloak um, uh, become determinative. And uh, so it's just it's very bizarre yeah. position to be in. It's a very strange moment in the in the country's history. But. But ultimately, if you get wrapped up in the, in the clownishness, it can be a short-term thing. There are a lot of avenues to having the kind of the simulacrum of success, a lot of ways to present kind of false, but ultimately, you know, false and ultimately kind of um, uh, failed solutions. But again, that sound good because people are so desperate yeah. for yeah. things like this. So you say, oh, you know, we'll just... Um, oh, are, are we just need to you know, wield power better. Well, how do you get the power? It's, is, is it really that nobody's thought to use power? Right. You know, it's <laughs> you know, things like right. this. And, no, no more Mr. Nice Guy. It's time for conservatives yeah. to crush them. <laughs> right. Well, what are you going to do? How are you going to do that? Right. <laughs> what does that look like? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, one of the, the areas I think a lot of people have gained hope uh, around the world is through this truckers movement, uh, yes. particularly in Canada and around the world. And I know Revolver has been one of the, maybe one of the only conservative news sources that's spent a lot of time talking about that and thinking about that. Uh, do you see that as something positive, as a, a model that people who are unhappy with our current state can mm-hmm. can pursue? No, I think it's hugely positive. It's hugely positive. It's... Uh... It's positive. It's not dispositive. I guess I could say that it's it's a it's a great thing. Um, you know, there'll be limits to how much it can achieve, but it's pretty. It's the best thing going on right now. It's real. Sure. It's organic. It's not one of these fake things organized right. by you know consultants or something. It's a real thing. It's uh, right. uh, it's somewhat analogous to the yellow vest movement that was going on mm. in Europe. It's a genuine kind of. Um, organic worker oriented movement and in order to push it over the finish line I think they need they'll probably need some you know some other some other allies but 
uh, it's a hugely optimistic thing, um, and I hope it. I hope this is just the start. Right. It looks like the movement is is spreading, so that's a very good thing. Yeah, it's incredible. I uh, I told my wife the other day, you need to order a lot of food and any supplies we need for the next month because we support the truckers movement, even though it may impact what we can buy. We need to be ready. And I think that's, uh, that's something a lot of people need to consider is right. what is the cost, even personally, to, to seeing these things happen? Right. Well, um, I'll tell you this. The cost, whatever whatever kind of extraneous costs imposed by the truckers thing, it's not a fraction of a percent of the costs of the lockdowns that you know, these corrupt right. rulers have shoved down our throats for the past two years. So, yep. so the, yeah, now, they, right. now they dare say, oh, what about the economic disruption? Right, yeah, these right. People what, shut what down about the, the whole economy impact? for two years right. over nothing. Yeah, and, and now people care about their rights and their liberties, and, and all of a sudden it's a problem. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, which, again, it just it refrains back to this is about power, and it's about control, and it's about really a new world order in, in a lot of ways. Um, big question that folks here in the United States are asking is what will happen in the upcoming midterm elections? Um, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but if you could predict an outcome, uh, A, what would that outcome be? How do you see that playing out? And how important is that for us going into the presidential election of 24? Well, (laughs) I don't know. I think it'll probably just by the way that these cycles work, I think it'll probably be good for um, Republicans, at least relatively so. I see uh, some very good candidates running who have a very good yeah. chance um you know people like joe kent is very good i don't know if you're familiar with him yes so one of the yeah I, i've interviewed best. him on this show he's yep. he's incredible yep incredible he's, he's one of the best um uh andrew mccarthy is pretty good um you've got uh he's got a range of people um and so i think that's that's encouraging to see um you know new people running who could if they get in which i which i hope they do um could form a kind of functional caucus or coalition right together because now you know really the only people who uh can present any opposition at all in congress it's you know, Matt Gates is always leading the charge. You got Marjorie right. Taylor Greene, who's right. you know, very brave and very good. You've got Paul Gosar, who's a who's a classic, mm. um, and you know Thomas Massey at times, and then maybe you know a, a couple others. But you know, if we could add five or six to that roster, then maybe right. you start to get something. Um, and so it's one of those things you got to understand the victories for what they are. Do I think? You know, a landslide victory, you know, electorally in terms of Congress or even the presidency can really fundamentally change things. Uh, probably not. But at the same time, it's a lot better to have that than not to have that. So you just sure. have to understand what you can get out of each thing. And I think a lot of people say, oh, well, you say that this isn't going to fundamentally change things. So you just don't care about well no you care about it you would be honest about what it can achieve but it's still a hell of a lot better to have you know the people like you know joe ken andrew mccarthy and others um you know in congress than not and it's a lot better to have the presidency than not and so 
Right. Um, but at the same time, you want to be sober and realistic about the bottlenecks because ultimately you want to be positioned where once you clear up the bureaucracy, once you solve some of these things, then the impact of actually getting your people in office is vastly improved because when you right. have the bureaucracy not stopping right. your things, then you can actually start to implement. But one of the uh, implications of a lot of our reporting and revolving news is basically to show, look, um, unless we get the national security state under control, there's only so much you can do, uh, yeah. you know, with your congressmen, with your, right. you know, with your senators, right. even with your presidents. There's only so much you can do if the national security state is just completely weaponized against you. And so that's a problem. Again, it doesn't have an easy solution, but, you know, we're just kidding ourselves if we think, oh, let's just focus on elections and elections will solve everything. Well, there, there are a right. lot of other bottlenecks to, to progress. And, um, you know, there's, there's a reason you can, you know, win a lot uh, in, uh, at, at the ballot box and just continue to lose in terms of the culture, sure. the underlying trajectory of the country. And, and I think conservatives are, are going to have to be patient and take a long view if we really want to see progress happen. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Man, Darren, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much uh, just for taking the time. I know your time is very valuable and uh, for your thoughtful understanding of these issues you can you can speak i think on just about anything so narrowing it down to this um, really appreciate you talking about it where can people follow you follow revolver news and just stay in touch with what you guys yeah, are doing absolutely so check out revolver.news we do daily aggregation much better than drudge people uh, you know before we became known <laughs> for investigative reporting people flock to the site from drudge you know tucker carlson said you know this is the new drudge trump you know, he was a little bit irritated with Matt Drudge and gave us, you know, a big, big shout out, which was right. nice. So if you're into daily news aggregation, we're a great uh, resource to check out. Our exclusives, we, you know, I have to say we do some of the best, if not the best investigative reporting in the country on big things that irritate very powerful people and institutions. <laughs> so if you like that, check us out. And I am on uh, Twitter at Darren J. Beattie, D-A-R-R-E-N-J-B-E-A-T-T-I-E, and the site is revolver.news. That's awesome. And you have the best name for a media um, organization of, of any of them, Revolver. It's easy to understand, and uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for what you guys are doing. Really appreciate it. Hopefully we can have you back on and, and uh, talk some more, but... Uh, Man, thanks for leading the fight in so many of these areas. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and I'd love to come back. Awesome. Thanks, Darren. Again, so grateful for Darren Beattie and his work. Um, he brings such a balanced approach to what's happening in our country and in the world. Revolver News, of course, bringing uh, the news of the day from across the country, news that's important to you, right to you. Very grateful for that and for the work that he does. Thankful that he would come on and speak with us today. I hope that was a help to you. Please check out his own socials, his socials. Check out Revolver News, and uh, you'll be grateful that you did. Thank you for watching this show. Thank you for listening if you are listening. And I would encourage you, if you are watching and not listening, then subscribe 
subscribe to the podcast. You can go to the Salem Podcast Network.com, Salem Podcast Network.com. You can find this show and other incredible shows there that you can listen to. If you're watching, thank you for doing that as well. Really appreciate it. For more information about me, if you'd like to find my blog, some of the other things that I talk about, other shows that I'm involved in, go ahead and check out Jeremy Stallnecker.com, Jeremy Stallnecker.com, everything you wanted to know about me and so much more. <laughs> but I would invite you there and uh, look forward to connecting. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Look forward to talking to you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.